Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 15 is entitled The Stories of the New Testament, Matthew Chapter 2. One of Christianity's favorite stories is the story that is known as the Three Wise Men. Matthew 2, 1-2 Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. Do the scriptures actually use the number three? Is it because three very expensive gifts were given of gold, frankincense, and myrrh that we think there were only three? Such wealthy men would probably have an entourage of servants. We're introduced to the dynasty of Herod. They were astute politicians, managing a delicate balance of power between Rome and Jerusalem. But they were not nice people. All the signs of the times pointed to the meridian of time when Christ would be born. One can only imagine the excited conversations about the birth of the Messiah on the lips of those from every walk of life. Such excitement probably filled the court of Herod, making Herod rather nervous. It is doubtful that Herod believed in the divinity of Christ. But he understood politics, and a movement like that among the Jewish nation could topple his throne. Herod's own counselors would have been of the highest education in astronomy, astrology, and ancient biblical prophecies. He would have had consulted with the best Bible scholars around. Such a thing could not be hidden. When Herod heard of the three wise men, he summoned them to his court. The wise men appeared about two years after Christ's birth and they stirred up in Herod a fear that his power is going to be challenged by a peasant. He looked at things only through political eyes. He probably didn't believe in Christ as the true king of the Jews, but he understood the threat to his dynasty if a man called Christ was preferred by the people. There would be a civil war, and he would lose. After all, religious fanaticism is a powerful political force. People will die for their God. The Romans were idol worshippers and many Jews had adopted the culture of their conquerors. Roman gods were necessary for the longevity of the state. Herod could not afford to have a man among his people calling himself God. Though it doesn't excuse his ruthlessness, it explains it. Like all people of total power, Herod understood how to gain power and how to hold power. It was people like Herod that inspired Niccolo Machiavelli to write The Prince centuries later. Matthew 2, 3-7 When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophets, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, For out of thee shall come a governor, that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, 
inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Notice that the chief priests and scribes all knew of the prophecy in great detail, for the children of Israel had been looking for the coming of Christ for two thousand years. All of the ordinances of the Mosaic law pointed toward Christ. All of the prophets prophesied about Christ, especially Isaiah. Religious leaders of the Jews were the ones who later would crucify him. The crafty Herod pretends that he wants to worship the Christ child. Matthew 2, 7-8 Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. One of the most famous symbols announcing the birth of Christ was the Eastern Star. Matthew 2, 9-10 When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Then we come to another famous scene of the three wise men celebrated throughout the world. Matthew 2, 11, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The wise men, however, were sincere worshippers, and it is clear that they were intended by the Lord to be special witnesses of the birth of Christ. They then joined the other great witnesses, Joseph and Mary, the shepherds, and later Anna and Simeon in the temple. The wise men were warned not to talk to Herod. Matthew two twelve, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. We never hear of the wise men again. So few words, and yet their additional witness helped change the world. The witnesses came from all walks of life, poor shepherds, holy men and women, and the wealthy and learned wise men, suggesting that although only a few were allowed to be there at such a momentous event, we are all called as witnesses. We think of a witness as someone who sees with their eyes and reports the event. Though they saw the Christ child with their eyes, it was not their physical eyes that made them a witness. It was their spiritual eyes. Anna and Simeon attended the temple often. Angels appeared to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. It was the Holy Ghost that made them true witnesses, suggesting that we can all be witnesses of Christ. Herod knew of the prophecies, and the priests and scribes knew of the prophecies. But they lacked something that the true witnesses had. They lacked the Holy Ghost to give them a true witness. Therefore, they did not act upon it. Unlike the wise men, King Herod and the priests and scribes didn't go to Bethlehem to seek out the child. It was all academic to them. They did not have the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is only the Holy Ghost that gives us our witness of Christ. And it is only the Holy Ghost that confirms that witness when we share it with others. It is the Holy Ghost that gives revelation. It is the duty of us all who have been touched by the Holy Spirit to bear witness of Christ. That is why hundreds of millions believe in Christ today. Throughout the centuries, there have been witnesses just like those humble shepherds and rich wise men and holy people in the temple who had the witness of the Holy Ghost. But again, it was Joseph who was the protector of Mary and Jesus. Therefore, 
It was Joseph who was visited by dreams to take Mary and the child and flee to Egypt. Undoubtedly, they financed their trip from the wealth the wise men gave them. It is just another witness that the wisdom of God is greater than the cunning of Satan. But it is worth pausing to note something else. God does not take away people's agency, nor did he spare Joseph and Mary the anguish it must have caused for them to leave their homeland and live in a foreign country not necessarily friendly to the Jews. God had the power to stop Herod. God had the power to circle the Christ child with legions of angels. So why does he put the burden on us? Many people blame God when things go wrong, but the price of agency is very high, and that is what we are choosing between, God's complete control and our agency. We cannot have both. We chose agency in the pre-mortal existence. That is why we agreed to come to earth, having a veil drawn over our minds, causing us to forget our immortal home with God. Studying the ways of God to man is one of the most important things we can do, for by understanding how he works, we can work more effectively through faith in inviting God to demonstrate his power to us. He cannot violate our agency. It would destroy the entire plan of salvation. When we invite him to work with us rather than for us, not only will we be able to better achieve our righteous desires, but we will better understand God and better increase in faith. If we take the next step and put the will of God before our own, we will live in a world where miracles will be as common as stones. Matthew two thirteen through 14 And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And when Herod was dead, it was Joseph who was told in a dream to bring the mother and child back to the Holy Land. There were many champions of Christ, but none were greater than Joseph. We know that Christ, a prodigy by the age of twelve, was already a Jewish scholar. Can you imagine the gospel discussions Joseph and Jesus had in the 30 years of Jesus' preparation for the most important mission one was ever given on earth, to save the world from their sins? Is it impossible to believe that Joseph was the first to tell Jesus, under the direction of the Holy Ghost, what that mission was? When Jesus gently rebuked his mother, Mary, when she chided him for remaining behind discussing the scriptures with the learned by saying, I must be about my father's business. Perhaps it was Joseph himself that first taught Jesus that divine calling. Jesus did not come full grown. We are told that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Matthew 2, 19-23 But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose, and took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, 
he turned aside into parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. We sentimentalize Joseph, but we tend to bypass his essential role as brave protector and teacher of Jesus and Mary. And we overlook the fact that Joseph would have been the legitimate king of Israel if the house of Israel had been righteous. Now he was just a carpenter, invisible to the world, and would raise his son as a carpenter, who was the true king of kings and lord of lords. Christians would say that it is better than being king, even a king like Solomon. It was Christ who said, Matthew six twenty-eight through 30 And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.